Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but... The other night, I got to do a live show for our fifth anniversary. Yay! Yay! And when Susan Wacoma walked into the green room, she said, hmm, nice out front. And I was wearing a low-cut jumpsuit. So I said, thank you very much. You should see the back. And she went, no, I'm at the front of the building. You've got a big billboard out the front with you on it. And I was like, oh, I honestly thought she was talking about my tits. Nice out front. How was your tits in the billboard up front? I mean, they were average. They were covered by a big shirt. <laughs> Didn't know I was going to be photographed for a billboard, did I? Did I? That's true. <laughs> you're like a mermaid on the front of a ship. Well, you're a feminist, but my yeah. achievement of an enormous billboard at the front of the venue where we have our residency <laughs> has now been diminished to the mermaid <laughs> on the front of a ship. Would you say that if it was Nish Kumar? Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you call him a mermaid on the front of the ship? Or would you go, oh, Nish, a billboard? <laughs> <laughs> Look, she that that mermaid at the front of the ship is a feminist icon. A feminist icon. I'm a feminist, but I still get surprised by my periods. Like uh, every month, every month, I'm, every month, I'm just like, what the hell is that? And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's a period, Alison. Mm. You've had this since you were twelve. And then I retroactively get to put together why I cried looking into a dog's face the last week. Hundy you know? pee, and it never changes. That never changes. Hundy pee. Because the, the dog looks so sad. I'm a feminist, but my favourite Christmas song is Santa Baby. Ooh. Santa Baby, something, something <laughs> under, the, under tree the tree for me. And I justify it by believing that Eartha Kitt is milking the patriarchy milking. in a capitalist society. It's parasite feminism. She's getting what she needs out of the power structures. I'm glad you said patriarchy and not Santa. Well, okay, hear me out. Eartha <laughs> Kitt, Kitt is a black woman. Yes. And if she wants to get a sports car out of Santa, who's always depicted as a white man, even though he was really from the Middle East, then yes. that big bearded white man 
she can treat him like a sugar daddy if she wants and demand that he gives her stuff. I think she's owed. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't mind what she's doing to get that. Parasite feminism. <laughs> and if I want to sing it in a baby girl voice, because I think it's cute, then yeah. frankly, it's Christmas. It's been a hard year. Shut up. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I once went to an Anne Summers party where I was asked to put a sex toy on my nose to test it to see whether I would like to buy it or not. And uh, instead, I just realised that it would be a very good sinus cleanser. Like if you're looking <laughs> for... <laughs> well, how can you test a vibrator on your nose? You're supposed to put it on the end of your nose. Why? Just to see if... Is that the same as the clitoris? No. It ain't the same, but like it's a bit more hygienic. You know, you're in a party setting, aren't you? You can't just like, you know, flick it down there. I mean, like, it would be convenient if in a party setting you could just sort of rub your nose and it would feel like the clitoris. That would be very convenient. <laughs> Some parties are boring. Yeah, I'm a feminist, but I saw John Hamm trending recently and my immediate thought was, if he's cancelled, I'll have to choose between John Hamm and feminism. That's my <laughs> Sophie's choice. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he's cancelled for what, but I don't know. I just went, oh, no. You can't, you, 2020 can't take away John Ham. Yeah, but it kind of makes it a bit better. He's your problematic fave, you know? Then a lot of your fantasies can be like, I can't, John, you're cancelled. Oh. Like, they can't cancel us. Oh, that's interesting. They can't cancel our love slash yeah, lust. absolutely. Lust, absolute lust. I'm a feminist, but I was a half an hour late to a goodbye dinner with my lovely, lovely flatmates that are all women because... I was upsold an eyelash lift while getting an eyebrow tint. And it took about 40. Have you ever had an eyelash lift, Debs? Once. It was very painful. I didn't like it. Oh, it smelled. I didn't like it. I was there stuck with my eyes closed and just the smell of burning hair in the middle of a Primark. I was not into it at all. And then at the end, she asked me whether I wanted to buy a package of six like if I bought it in a bulk and I just wanted to leave so I was like yeah I've, I've, I've really messed up I don't like it I think I look like a Furby well I was saying to someone the other day that I think on this podcast that I've lost a lot of my eyelashes from doing things to them so I'm trying to grow them back with a special potion and then I'm not yeah. going to touch them again I've got some someone gave me some magnetic ones you put on magnetic eyeliner and then the lash goes on like a magnet and I like those I was wearing those the other night at the fifth anniversary party not party, show, socially distanced show. There was no party, just to be very clear. There really wasn't. I wished, like, it was, yeah, uh, that's well. the hard thing about these. It was, it was great saying so we'll many great women. We'll make up for it when we're six. We'll make up for it when we're six. There'll oh, be, please, yeah. We'll absolutely. all be vaccinated by then and it will oh. be vaccinated and there'll be tequila. We'll be drinking vaccinated cocktails. It'll be a beautiful time. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Alison Spittle and our very special guests, Juliet Stevenson, Pinar, Josie Norton and Julia Gillard talking about silver linings! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Alison Spittle and we're talking about silver linings! Woo! All right, so today, Alison, we're talking about silver linings. As, yes. Now, listen, there's no silver linings to COVID. It's a pandemic. But we are programmed as human beings to look for silver linings. 
Mm-hmm. And absolutely, some of us have had silver linings to lockdown. Some people haven't, but some people have. And if you're lucky enough to have a silver lining for lockdown, uh, we're going to ask you to share it with us and share it with Choose Love uh, to help refugees who haven't had a silver lining. But we're also looking at the silver linings today of lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. The environment is a silver lining of lockdown. Um, yeah. But some of it has repaired as we've taken planes out of the sky and we've driven around less and we've, in some cases, used less. I'm going to be talking to Julia Gellard later about female leadership and why female leaders have done better. Nice. That's something for feminism going forward. Biden and Harris will be in the White House, which is a starting place, not a finishing place. Mm-hmm. So what are the silver linings of this year that you think we can take forward? Is there anything that you think you've learnt this year or you think the human race has learnt this year that we might take into unvaccinated post-COVID world? Well, there is definitely, actually Tom pointed out, uh, Tom of Guilty Feminist fame, I had a quick chat with him when we were doing our five-year anniversary and he said, you know, the world will be changed forever because we can never pretend that it's impossible to work from home. So the silver lining, I think, is the environment, but also that maybe jobs become more acceptable to more people and that we can't pretend that uh, you have to be in an office in order to work, that you can work from home. Mm -hmm. And that would be better for people's lives, I think, for families and for for people with different abilities. And uh, yeah, that, that is one silver lining I'm taking. Also community. I think my cynicism has gone down, even though it's been more and more horrible. But uh, to be cynical at the moment, I mean, it is a natural state to feel, but I'm trying to make myself feel less cynical and more kind of community minded and uh, to care more about how people are doing. And uh, also I've kind of got in touch with my family on a level that I wasn't before because you're, you're checking up on them and then you have to talk. You do have to talk. And you can't physically be in each other's presence, but you do have to check in with them. Uh, yeah. And that has been a really good thing. I think we, I'm mo- so much more connected to my mum, for example, because yeah. I'm worried about, you know, I was worried about her in lockdown, so I got in touch a lot more. So we're much closer than we were when I was racing around and, you know, there was nothing to yeah. be worried about. So I think there are, even though I haven't seen her this year, I have had more connection with her in a strange way. And a lot of families will be saying, oh, we're doing a weekly quiz and a weekly this and when we never saw each other and now suddenly every Sunday night we've got to have a big Zoom. But actually that's interesting that when there's a fear and there's a pandemic, we suddenly work out who's who's important to us. Do you have any naughty silver linings, things that you go, oh, that was quite nice? I've really got into pyjamas. Nice. I've really spent a lot more on indoor wear than I did before. Like uh, I deserve something fleece-lined. I, I've believed. Uh, also, <laughs> no, you're worth it. It's like the L'Oreal principle. You're worth it. You're worth fleece. I am. Yeah, I'm worth fleece. I am worth fleece. Do you know what's so strange is that I've been working. I've been writing. Like that's the main job I do now. And like I have my laptop there, and like my phone is something that distracts me, and I have to keep away from that. But I look at the screen of my laptop and I'm like, right, just do your work, do your work. And then you can watch television, which is another screen, essentially. So I feel like I'm rewarding myself with screens by working on a screen. What about you? Well, I'm going to talk about it later in the show, but I have been learning to dance this year and I've added in singing lessons because it's something I've... I actually saw, um, speaking of Eartha Kitt. Yes. At the beginning of last year, I saw a picture of Eartha Kitt and James Dean at a dance class. And I was like, didn't even know Eartha Kitt knew Jimmy Dean. You know, that's amazing. 
Apparently they're quite good friends. Maybe even more. I don't know. Salacious gossip of the day. <laughs> Fan magazines. Um, ah! <laughs> but apparently he said to her, I want to move like you on stage. And, you know, in the movies, I want to move like you. And so she took him to a dance class and there's pictures of them at dance class together. So I thought, I know that verbally on stage I'm dexterous and mentally I'm fast. Mm-hmm. but I don't feel physically connected to my body all the time. And if I'm doing stand-up in a really big venue, I'm aware of, like, how am I moving? If I see myself in video sometimes, I don't move the way I feel. And so I thought it would get me out of bed. It would make me get dressed. It put me in a good mood because you can't dance. And then da- you can dance miserably. Um, yeah. But that's fine too. But it will probably perk you up because you're, you know, moving to music. So that's what I've done. That's been my silver lining of the year that I've kind of got connected to my body. And I was quite surprised to see at pictures of me on stage at the fifth anniversary show that my posture does look different now. I'm pulling up more and I do feel like safer, I think, in my body and more connected to it. That's great. Yeah, I've got there a bit through yoga and, you know, yoga did, no, I, yoga's done a lot for me, but dance has really helped me so much more. So I'm proud that I've done that and at the same time feel very grateful to have had the privilege to be able to do that. And my brain talks to my body in different ways now. Before, really? Yeah, well, I couldn't, I, I was always scared of choreography. Sometimes, you know, you have to do a comedy sketch okay. where everyone's doing a sort of, you know, the, we're all going this way, we're going that way. And I'd always think, oh, everyone's going to be better than me and I'm not going to be able to learn it. And, and that brain freeze would happen because I'd panic. But also I think sometimes my brain can see what that person's doing and copy it in my body. And sometimes it just doesn't translate. I'm like, yes. just because I can see you doing it, I have no idea what you're really doing. I can't, which leg goes where? <laughs> and so this year my brain has learned to talk to my body so most of the time now if my dance teacher shows me a step my brain knows how to interpret that and tell my body this is the way we're moving do you feel yourself like even like butter in toast is there a bit of a flourish now yes, like that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really want to see you butter some toast yeah <laughs> but even on stage I don't know I've just got a little bit more I'm a little yeah I've got a little bit more natural groin action a little bit more Look. like yeah, a little bit more hip action. I'm a little thrustier. Uh, my chest can move in different ways. Can you see how? I can. So many different I ways can. now. Yeah. It this can is sort beautiful. of. I'm hypnotized by your chest now. <laughs> Honestly, my chest was one thing. I'd be able to move the whole thing left or right or up or down. That was it. And now it's yeah. got different working parts. I mean, there's things like that that I just like, wow, this is exciting. And so mostly I wanted to learn something new. Welcome to the microphone, Alison Spittle! Um, I love Christmas. I'm a very Christmassy person. I've been very into it. My favourite thing about Christmas is that, like, family rows, they mean a lot more, but yet they're over so much less. Like, my favourite Christmas rows, I could name them for you. Number one, my granddad and my dad had a full-on massive argument about whether to fry bread for the Christmas breakfast. I think it was more of a power struggle, but granddad had the frying pan and dad just threw a piece of bread into the frying pan. And I've never seen like two men just say so much and yet not say so much. And that Mm. was over a piece of fried bread. It was beautiful. The next one is my mum used to have rows with us all the time because uh, as a Catholic, she wanted us to go to Christmas mass. It was a very big thing in my village. It was definitely a thing that you wanted to be seen at. And if you weren't at Christmas mass, you'd be seen as godless. But <laughs> I really love I know. I know. I really love the lion, though. And they always repeated uh, Wallace and Gromit at 11 a.m. And I, I just felt 
the older I got and the earlier I had to get up for Christmas, the less I felt close to God. And I think it really helped me in my atheism. And as well as that, with the more and more scandals that came out about the Catholic Church, mum asked us a lot less. So it was kind of it was kind of great. It was a natural kind of thing. And then um, the other thing about Christmas is that when my parents split up, I became like the patriarch within the family at Christmas. I was the one that had to get up in the morning uh, at five in the morning and, and set up all the toys, you know, put them together when my sisters woke up and they wanted someone of a screwdriver and I was the one that did that. <laughs> I taught me so much about like uh, patriarchal roles and like my sister got a Scalectrics for Christmas one year and all of us other sisters were incredibly jealous that she had the forethought to kind of ask for something that wasn't gender specific for girls. And we were there with our dolls and stuff. And I was like, I really want this doll to go 108 miles per hour. And it, 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 it would be great. The biggest thing, though, about Christmas and a woman's role, I think, is Mary. And I've always wanted to play Mary in the school nativity play. The school nativity play was the biggest thing in my school. It was the nearest thing we had to speech and drama. And Mary is the meatiest role of the nativity. She's like the Hermione Granger of the Bible. She has lines. So she's a, she's a female role with lines. And uh, every year I would try my hardest to become Mary. And uh, even one year... I looked at my mum's wardrobe and she had this like blue silky number and it was a beautiful blue kind of um, dressing gown, right? Uh, Well, actually, it was probably lingerie looking back, but it was Mm -hmm. in the 90s and I had sleeves. So it was this lovely blue silky thing and I wore that pretending to be Mary. So I went into school in my mother's lingerie uh, pretending to be Mary, trying to get the role. (laughs) Which is, uh, I got the part, so I do believe it's good to good to dress up. Yes, and, um, dress for the job you want, even if that's the Virgin Mother of Christ. Mary, to me, is like my fashion icon as well, Deborah. She's incredible. You know, she rocks a headdress sometimes. Mm. She wears a lot of layers. She knows how to have <laughs> layers. <laughs> she does. And she also lies about how much sex she has, which is a very big, oh. it's a very big inspiration to me as an Irish woman. We yeah. always lie. <laughs> so, yeah, I got the part and I was very excited. The person who looked after the nativity play, though, didn't really like me. And I knew that because once, when I was eight years old, I was walking down the hallway and he turned around to say to me in school, he said, hey, Alison Spittle. And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, you walk like a man. And as an eight-year-old, I was like, oh, thank you so much, sir. I do walk with confidence. That is so nice. Like, I took it as the biggest compliment ever. And I think he was, I think he was trying to be a bit of a, bit of a melon uh, to a six-year-old. So I remember practicing. I was doing a rehearsal in the church uh, with Joseph. Now, this guy who played Joseph, his name is Porig, and uh, he would play Joseph every year. And it's not because he's a very good actor. It's just because he had a very old face for a child. Like, he did look mm-hmm. like a Joseph. Like, it was that kind of thing. So I was there prancing around being Mary. I had my hands in my pockets. And uh, the person that run the nativity play turned around to me and said, Alison, why have you got your hands in your pockets? And I was like, oh, it's just, they were very silky. It was a very, si-. and imagine laundry with pockets in it. My mum was like... Doing so well. Head of a time. And he said, like, you've got a face on you. You look like you don't want it enough. I'm giving the part to, uh, I'm going to make up her name, uh, Star- Scarlet, right? I couldn't believe it. Scarlet had played Mary the year before. <gasps> and she, yeah. And she had dropped baby Jesus on his head. Like, there was, she She was not qualified for that role at all. And like She was the Matt Hancock. She was the Matt Hancock. Of Mary's. She was the of Boris Mary's. Johnson. 
She she not only did she drop the ball, she dropped the Messiah. Oh my she God. dropped that baby. And yet and she remember, got given the part of you. She did. She did. And the thing is, I'm still mates with her. And I asked her like last I asked a few people last year about the nativity play. And they were like, Alison, you need to get over this. And I was like, no, no, I just want to know. I said to her, do you remember when you played Mary and you dropped baby Jesus on his head? <laughs> and she said to me, yeah, I do remember that, Alison. And I'll tell you a secret. She goes, I dropped him on purpose. And I was like, oh, what? And I, she goes, just to see what it felt like, right? Oh, my God. Now, Scarlett is a, now Now she is a social worker. So like it's a, doesn't bode well, but you know, she I probably know. learned from that. I've, I've been thinking a lot about Mary lately and the nativity story. And I don't think the nativity story is a very good feminist story. Number one. God to me, right, is the ultimate kind of fedora wearing incel, right, to me, because he doesn't. <laughs> Number one, Mary, I mean, let's not even get into her age. She was young. Like, let's not even. But God didn't even tell her that he was going to impregnate her himself. He sent a friend. He sent Gabriel to come down to Mary and tell her that she was going to be pregnant by God, which, you know, doesn't bode well for my confidence. If someone's going to impregnate me, they need to talk to me as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's got to, you know, you've got to have some sort of relationship. And um, I thought to myself, I was like, what would I do if I was Mary, um, you know, in modern day times? And I'll be honest with you, Debs, I'm pro-choice. I think I would tell Gabriel, nah, mate, you're okay. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be looking for an in, Deborah. Our first guest today is a renowned actor and activist and a very close friend of mine and a wonderful human being. Um, in fact, th- I'm going to say a throbbingly talented actor <laughs> who keeps winning. Well, every time I turn around, she's won something else. She was cruelly ripped from the West End by coronavirus uh, in one of the best plays I've ever seen, The Doctor. And I'm excited for that to come back because it has to. Uh, she is an ambassador for Breaking Barriers, a charity whose mission is to help refugees in London acquire the knowledge, confidence and experience to get stable, fulfilling employment. Please welcome Juliet Stevenson. Hello, hello, Dad. Hello, everybody. Hello. hello. Hello, hello. We truly, madly, deeply love you, Juliet Stevenson. Mm, it's mutual. Back at and we also have Pinar, who is a client of Breaking Barriers. Pinar is a 25-year-old refugee, originally from Turkey, who came to the UK in 2019. She works as an HR assistant for a care company and is involved in recruiting carers to go out and support vulnerable people in the community. She has been working with Breaking Barriers over the past six months. So look, this episode is all about silver linings. We have had a tough year. We've had a tragic year and we need some hope and we need to focus in on some positive things and some things we can do going forward. And we just need collectively to come together and say something positive and warm and hopeful and give each other a big virtual hug because we're not allowed real hugs. They're illegal. (laughs) Um, So Juliet and Pinar, tell me, Breaking barriers, what is it and why is it a silver lining? I'm a very happy, passionate spokesman for breaking barriers because on the theme, Deb, of, you know, silver linings and positive and optimistic stories, I met Matt Powell, who is the CEO of the charity, when he was just running it out of his flat, you know, at the kitchen table. And four years later, it is this 
you know, really, really established, incredibly successful, um, widely supported charity. And it's such a simple idea. He looked around and said, you know, these incredible people arriving in this country full of skills and talents. Why are they not able to work? Why are they not getting into decent jobs, um, you know, with proper contracts, respectful and stable contracts where they can contribute to the very country they have spent so much energy and courage and time trying to reach? And so that was the idea. And, you know, four years on, the charity has amazing partners, IKEA, Bank of America, Deutsche Bank, Grant Thornton, Big Yellow Self Storage, Ipsos Mori, blah, blah, many big legal firms like Michigan Dereer and so on, all supporting, employing, breaking barriers clients. And I think it's such a great idea because it's obvious people coming highly skilled and talented, needing work on the one hand, highly motivated to make those jobs work and do them successfully to the best of their abilities. And then companies who find that the refugee employees that they have are incredible employees because, of course, they are motivated. You know, they, they rarely take sick days off. They're highly motivated to do well. They, generally speaking, have all sorts of resources and um, very collaborative and very positive in the workforce. So it's very often a win-win. And, and the charity just enables each client who comes enables them by supporting them with language, English language lessons, you know, CV help, IT classes, interview techniques and so on. But I think Pinar is much the best person to talk about that because you've, you've been yeah. through that process, haven't you, Pinar? So. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Juliet, first of all. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, great organization to help refugees because as a refugee myself, I think uh, when I first came to this country, I absolutely you know, know nothing. And uh, knowing that there's an organization people who are keen on help me. So it's, it's a really big relief. Uh, so I have a caseworker, so we work together on my CV, doing some job applications. So it's a really great organization to work with and to support it with. To, Amazing. To support. And um, like, what would it have been like for you without this charity? Like, can we talk through what difficulties you could foresee if this charity wasn't involved in your life? I mean, uh, as a refugee, this, I think the most important thing is to feel this support, like uh, knowing that uh, I have some people around me who's really, you know, ready to help me and they can do that with their all good deeds. It's, it's very, very important. And so it's a big relief to know that. Maybe not uh, physically, but it's a mentally big relief. Mm, uh, maybe mm. I haven't been getting support, like um, financial support or something, but just this... Uh, mental relief and being that mentally and you know just having this idea in my mind somewhere so it's it's a really great thing well knowing someone's on your team and is going to advocate for you like if you're raised in a family where someone knows someone and they can help you get a first job or you know your mum's gonna go oh come on you can do it you know out you go I'll, I'll take you to your first interview yes you know not everyone has that here yeah. but, but if English isn't your first language and now suddenly yeah. you've got to go up for a job interview in English it's, it's yeah like my mum's boyfriend pretended to own a chipper van and said that that was my first job not saying that the charity is there to lie for you or anything like that <laughs> but I totally <laughs> called in lots of favours off my family they, they were all of a sudden like the apprentice business league when it was like no one owned a business it was <laughs> <laughs> so was your first CV point a lie that you... all of it was a lie including Including hobbies, you know, <laughs> I am not interested in orienteering. I'm never going to do that. It looks good on a CV. Ew. You know, Pinner, what, did you have any hobbies on your CV? I'd love to hear what your hobbies no, were. Like, unfortunately. Normally I, I had uh, in my yeah. first CV, but then I've been told that it's not, 
it doesn't look nice to have your hobbies on your CV, so that's why I changed it. But no, no, I, I, I like to put it actually, but then I change it. In my current CV, in the most updated one, I don't have my hobbies. But this I is like a good tip. Alison suggests you put orienteering. I think um, orienteering. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've got orienteering from Turkey to England with English as a second language. I mean, that is genuinely orienteering. I don't know whether it's a hobby. It's a survival. You start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, yeah. It, 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 I mean, Pina, really can I just is. chip it? Can I just ask you? I mean, it's so mind-blowing to think of arriving in a foreign country with a fragile relationship to the language, possibly. I don't know how your English was when you got here. Not understanding the rules, not understanding this very particular kind of weird society that is you know wonderful British society so complicated with all its unspoken rules and regs and stuff to find your way from that to working full-time at a recruitment agency is mind-blowingly impressive I mean I just can't imagine doing that in a country yeah it was so basically when I first came to the UK it really took nearly a year for me to get this refugee status and it's really 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 difficult times for me because as you said in the beginning I think I really don't understand the reason why Refugees or asylum seekers aren't allowed to work since the beginning because they're really, really very qualified people in their own countries. They're doctors, they're mm. nurses, you know, teachers, lawyers, you know, lots of things. And they have really amazing qualification. And I wasn't allowed to work for nearly a year. So it was a, I don't know, I learned something. Of course, I did develop myself. I really work on my language and I try to, you know, have a network and really I've done lots of things. But not all people have this opportunity, unfortunately. And mm. uh, after this challenging one year, I found a job and uh, where I'm really happy. But it was a really difficult one year for me to being unemployed and to wait for response from the home office. It wasn't a really easy year for, year for me. But yeah, there are lots of talents outside. Unfortunately, they're not allowed to show their talents. Well, that's the other thing about breaking barriers. If you've spent a year or more demoralised and alone and thinking, am I even going to get this status? I think that really erodes your confidence. So someone then building that bridge and saying, hey, no, you've got a good CV, come on. Or even if you don't have a CV, you know, some refugees come with no qualifications and from a very difficult past. And, you know, Mm. and they deserve an opportunity too, because they're human beings who, you know, have struck out like Luke Skywalker going, I need to survive and now I want to thrive and I want to contribute. So can I ask how it felt, Pina, when you saw that the people who had come up with a vaccine for the coronavirus were from a Turkish family that had migrated to Germany? I don't know the details. Can you just, uh, what happened exactly? Okay, so... so Basically, your team has won the World Cup of vaccines. Like... (laughs) You should run down, you should get the flag, run down, <laughs> sing songs, way, we've done it. Like, it's a, basically a Turkish family who are immigrants to Germany have saved the world with a vaccine. The first, like, the World Cup of saving the world. Like, Turkey has, has just back in the net. Amazing. I, I don't know any more sports analogies then, but I really am like... <laughs> so the saving the World Cup, two World yeah. Cups, one world vaccine. Absolutely. Um, was done by Turkish immigrants to Germany. Although... I mm-hmm. live with a Syrian man who's also a refugee, but is very much family to me. And he said on all the message boards in Syria, they're arguing about where they came from because it's <gasps> disputed territory. And he reckons that they're actually from the Syrian bit of so Turkey. They're like the Andy Murray, because I know that an Irish woman was behind <laughs> uh, uh, the Oxford trials vaccine. I know Ireland was going, <laughs> They are the Andy Murray, basically. They're the yeah. Andy Murray of, of Turkey. <laughs> of it's Turkey. like, it is... It's Turkey, but also Syria's claiming it. So is Scottish people feel Andy Murray's Scottish rather than British? Anyway, Pina, (laughs) it's a great example of 
welcome, educate, incorporate, integrate, make people feel like they belong because they may well come up with a cure for exactly what ails you. But even if they don't, it's important to treat human beings. You don't have to save the world to be treated like a human being who deserves a chance. Mm, I want that on a T-shirt. That's good. I'll have it sent to you by this afternoon. Um, So, Juliet, there's an exhibition for Breaking Barriers. Tell us about that. So every year I curate an exhibition with Breaking Barriers, portraits of their clients to get the message out into the world about what they do. And this year, the exhibition of seven refugees who are all working as key workers during the COVID um, lockdown. So it's called um, Leave Home, Save Lives. The title is a response to the, you know, stay home, save lives mantra put out by the government. And this is Leave Home, Save Lives because these are all refugees who have crossed a lot of the world to get here and then have been working in key positions. So we have, for example, a community public health nurse, a COVID tester, a GP surgery administrator, a care home assistant amongst these seven portraits. And they're photographed by the world-renowned Rankin, amazing, amazing photographer, incredible guy who gave his time to do this. Every single uh, sitter also has been interviewed by a refugee journalist and this exhibition will go live. On, normally it's obviously in a gallery, but this year it's live online on the 26th of January until the end of May. And um, they're very, very beautiful portraits and each one has also a story attached. And they're inspiring stories. So just in case anybody was in any doubt about the contribution made by refugees to the key workers' contribution during COVID, they should check out this exhibition. Well, let's put a link to that in the show notes, Juliet. And it comes live on January 26th. So when it comes out, watch our social media at The Guilty Feminist on Instagram and at Guilt Pod on Twitter. And we will pump out links to that so everybody gets involved. And please share it as well. You should go on to www.leavehomesavelives.co.uk. If you go on there, enter your email address. You'll, you will then receive the exhibition information when it opens and goes live. Uh-huh. And obviously, Breaking Barriers is also at Breaking Barriers UK is the Instagram and Twitter is at BB underscore UK one. So yeah, do check out the charity's website because there are other very amazing and inspiring stories like Pinar's on the website as well. Juliet, do Breaking Barriers need anything else like companies to say, oh, we'd like to hire some refugees or money? Oh, always, always. Donations, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, yes, any business or companies who feel they would like to make a relationship with Breaking Barriers, most, most welcome. Please contact Matthew Powell at Breaking Barriers. He would be very, very keen to get their call. Great. So if you have a company and you think we'd like to hire some refugees, Peanut sounds brilliant. Uh, and we'd love to hire someone who's soon going to create a vaccine for whatever happens next. Yes, please. Uh, then get in touch. Uh, and if you've just got some money that you think, yeah, I'd, that's a really positive thing to put it towards. I'll help somebody have a shot, have a chance. Watching the possibilities, you know, with Steve, who I know I bang on about all the time, but I love him very much. And um I don't talk about Steve any more than other people talk about their children, so shut up. But, <laughs> um, not that Steve's my child. He's got an amazing mother in Turkey, in fact, but he's my family. And uh, he got an interview for Oxford University. Do you know how many people get an interview for Oxford University and what you have to do? It's incredible. He had to do A-level equivalents and get a distinction. He had to hand in an essay. He had to do a huge personal account of his own, you know, the UCAS thing where you have to say why you deserve an interview. He had to do an exam. And he got an interview for Oxford University. And I'm just, that, that's three and a half years ago. He was living in a refugee camp. And I mm. could not be more proud. I feel like quite crying just talking oh, about it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, oh, that's if, amazing. 
if he gets in, I'll cry for a week. But that, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, the potential and the gap between who people think refugees are. They're just human beings. They're people, everyone you love, look around your family, the person that's struggling, the person that's the high flyer, the person that loves to sing and dance, the person that sits in the corner with a book, the person who's going to create a brilliant software app, the person who doesn't know what they want to do. That's who refugees are. They're the depressed person. They're the motivated person. That's who they are. And give all of those people the support that you would want for the people in your own family who are either struggling or dynamic and motivated. Give the support that you would want and need. And Breaking Barriers is a wonderful way to do that. Juliet, this is our Silver Linings episode. And we are asking everyone, we know your silver lining of this lockdown as you've been able to create this incredible exhibition. And your heart is, as ever, enormous and in all, I want to say all the right places, but that's where curves are. I mean, in the right, the right place. We've <laughs> uh, got hearts in all the right places, love. Um, uh, can I ask you if you would share your silver lining with uh, me by buying something from the Choose Love store? And if so, what would you like to buy? I'd like to buy, I think, legal support. Legal support. Because we, we've done a massive, I've discovered there are so many kind. I've been locked down in Suffolk and I've done the most, I put out a call for warm winter coats. For my friend Joe, who runs a refugee centre in West London, West London, welcome. And we've had this overwhelming response. And also hundreds of stockings for children of her refugee clients have been made beautiful, bespoke stockings, oh. um, gift bags. So um, we've done a lot of that. So I would like to buy legal support because legal that's support. so crucial. Without legal support, you know, there's little progress people can make. And Pinar, yes. you yourself are a refugee. The Guilty Feminists would like to buy something from Choose Love on your behalf oh, that you. you needed when you were displaced. What would you like us to buy from the Choose Love store as a way to share your silver lining this year, which is that you got a job through Baking Barriers? I think children's coats, because it's very cold outside, and I'm sure in many places also it's very cold, so I think we can warm them up, yeah. They're tenner each, so we'll put you down for five. That's You know you bought the same thing, exactly the same thing as the Australian Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, the former Prime Minister. So, you know, I see a calling for you in politics. I think you'll be... You'll be Prime Minister before two decades are out. Pina and Juliet, you have been absolutely delightful. Is there anything you came to say that you did not get to say? Pina, is there anything you'd like people to know about what it is like to be displaced and then find support? Anything else you'd like to tell us? It's really nice, maybe just uh, to increase awareness towards the videos. It's, it's a really good way and I really want to thank again to you and to, for the podcast and to Breaking Barriers again. Yeah, just there's nothing I can say now. Oh, I want to give you both a big hug. You know, this notion that we are doing refugees a favour by enabling them to work in this country, it's kind of a bit topsy-turvy. When you hear anybody's story, as you have heard Steve so many times and we're hearing Pinos, you hear any story of a refugee has finally arrived in this country. You hear stories of unimaginable courage, unimaginable strength, courage, determination, resilience, overcoming adversity on a scale that I know I could not achieve myself absolutely would not have achieved without collapsing. So you're talking about people with such incredible resources. This is a gift to this mm. country. So it's not like allowing refugees to work is doing them a favour or, you know, it is in our interests to open up the job market to asylum seekers and refugees. Anything else makes no sense. It would cut so many corners in terms of what this country has to spend on supporting people who are not able to work or not allowed to work, on mental health issues and so on. So on. It, it kind of ticks every single box. And But particularly that thing of the people who reach here are people 
who are just astonishing human beings with so much mm. to offer. So I kind of agree. I feel like any refugee, you could make a movie about them and they could be the hero. And that is not the case for people who haven't been displaced. It's not that we're less interesting or less heroic. It's that we haven't been pushed out of our nest to find our resilience. We haven't had to dig as deep. That's the truth. And I don't know what I would do if I had to dig that deep. You know, I don't know. But I do know that everyone who makes it has dug very, very deep. And that many people who don't make it also dug deep and circumstance and was against them and fortune was against them. And they didn't make it. You know, but you could make a film about anybody because they're the heroes of a story. As soon as they strike out, all the films you love are about people generally who strike out and against the odds battle. And so, you know, please do find it in your heart to support and make that a silver lining of your year. Just by sharing Breaking Barriers, you've created a silver lining for somebody else. Pina and Juliet Stevenson, you've been amazing guests. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Deb. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pina. Yeah. Our next guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Choose Love, formerly the artist formerly known as Help Refugees, a non-profit organization funding over 80 projects across Europe and the Middle East. She is a leading advocate for refugee rights in the UK. Please welcome the incredible Josie Norton. Have people kind of done a Christmassy thing with your name and gone like Josie Norton, but nice? Yeah, on, are you on the naughty list? I've had that quite a few times and just like Generally, Josie Naughty happens quite a lot. And also a lot of people think my first name is Juicy as well. <gasps> Juicy wow. Naughty. Yeah, Juicy Naughty. <laughs> That's a quite a good cabaret name for you. Quite a good burlesque name for you, I it think. Is, it is, yeah. Absolutely. When inevitably, Josie and I have been learning to tap dance together, Alison. What? When Amazing. that morphs into tap burlesque, Juicy Naughty is a great name for you. There, there we go. I would That's love to eight. see Tap burlesque, you know, because your boobs would be going up and down, the tassels would be going ninety if you're tap dancing. <laughs> I mean, burlesque is normally silky, isn't it? Smooth mm, movement. That's yeah, true. It but is. That's why there's a gap in the market. There Absolutely. we go. Juicy naughty, the tap dancing burlesque dancer. Yeah, I love a bit love burlesque. Doesn't work out. That's my new career. <laughs> I feel like Choose Love has very much worked out. How old is Choose Love? It's five and a half. Okay, oh. the guilty feminist is five years old. We just had our wow. fifth birthday party. In fact, it's five today. Oh, yes. oh my god today yeah. was the first ever show that we did in a basement uh, of a theater in london a little tiny space with 30 people in the audience was five years ago today and we had the five-year wow. anniversary show two nights ago so five and a half years ago you were basically a rock chick weren't you i was something of a rock chick i yeah i was very lucky to be working in music management um working with the band coldplay and i was Sorry, have I LA. done a very unfeminist thing by saying rock chick when really you were a working professional in the music industry? Sorry, I'll say that again. I, I, I'm, I'm a, a feminist, but would I say that to a man? I'm also a rock chick. Oh, shit. Well, I've heard you describe yourself that way before, but I think this is a real <laughs> unfeminist, but what I say to a man who was like helping managing Coldplay going, you were basically just a sort of Jack the Lad roadie, weren't you? I wouldn't say that. So I apologise profusely. There's no apology needed. I'm not implying you were in Almost Famous. <laughs> I'd call him a rock dick. That's what I'd be like. You're basically a rock dick. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's only because I've heard you say that that I've said it. It's so, true. It's only because we're mates that I would say that. I wouldn't say that yeah. to anyone else. You were a music professional. I was a music professional, but also like, 
you know, I didn't know about all the things that were going on in the world or I was not paying attention. And I was, I liked going to gigs and hanging out with my friends. That was what my life was. And then a very series of unexpected events happened. And now this is what I do and this is what I care most about in the whole world. And how much money has Choose Love raised for refugees to help these grassroots foundations and organisations who are providing absolutely life-saving services? It's just over, I think, £35 million, which is $43 million. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Last year, I went into the shop with Steve, and he bought the store. And when you buy the store, you buy one of every single thing in the store. And that's a very big purchase. And I was really touched by that because his business is quite new. He doesn't, of course, you know, he's building it, but he doesn't have, you know, all sorts of money. And I was like... Steve, you, you know, that's a lot of money. And he was like, well, Choose Love saved my life. I, you know, so I will always be grateful to Choose Love. And I think of the millions of Steves that are out there and PRs that are out there relying on what you're doing every single day. And it's absolutely our partner organisations on the ground and they really are the ones doing the work. And it's our privilege to raise funds and get it to them so that they can do their work. And we feel lucky to do this. And I, I also really believe like, For all of us, it's our responsibility to do something. We can't necessarily all change the world. Not everyone can give up their job and go and be volunteering in a warehouse in another country. People have got families. Not everyone has money to donate, but we can all do something. And that's what I think is so amazing about the Choose Love store. People connect to it in such a kind of tangible way because they're like, I've got a kid and they need warm boots and a coat in winter. And I can't go and help that kid that's in Lebanon or that's in Greece in a refugee camp. I can go to the store and I can buy a coat and I can buy a pair of boots. And we really take that responsibility and trust really seriously. And, you know, I think it's really important that people know that, you know, when they make that purchase within days, weeks, that money is going out and is helping helpers of complicated word but it is it is reaching those people who need it and there's nothing more Christmasier either than helping people and yeah. uh especially giving people refuge and stuff that is the Christmas story that is, is what the kids do a play of every year <laughs> it, it literally true. is yeah it is true it literally is yeah Jesus and his family turn up in Nazareth for the census and yeah he's only well he's at this point he's in utero and he needs to get out of utero that's very much the urgency of the story because his mum's been running on a donkey, which I can only assume is, <laughs> is, is likely to break your waters, isn't it? Absolutely. It's very likely. And then they rock up and she presumably says to Joseph, have you booked an Airbnb? Have you booked ahead? And uh, he goes, oh, yeah. oh, no, I meant to. I meant to. And then I have a massive row. And then he goes, well, <laughs> let me working. go in here. Get, all the innkeepers are saying, mm, we've not got anything. Obviously, there's a massive census going on and, it, <laughs> and it's Christmas. What do you expect? And so at that point, uh, somebody says, oh, well, if you're going to give birth, don't do it on the street. That's awkward for everyone. You can have my stable. And then kind people come and choose love and give God's frankincense and mare. Do you you know something that I think is interesting, it's making me think of as you're telling that story. What is happening now is that countries who should be welcoming people who are having to flee for their lives, have had to leave their home behind, they are not welcoming people. They are putting people in the most inhospitable camps you can possibly imagine. And it's civil society, it's everyday people who are stepping up and giving that welcome. And that's the organisations that Choose Love works with. And that like 
welcome and that you know it's all about these camps are not safe and these organizations are trying to make them as safe as possible and there is no way to make them safe but you can make them a bit safer but that word welcome is something that I think that we're we're all fighting for absolutely someone making you feel special and important and like you belong yeah and that's what's amazing about the partners you know when you took me to Greece last year to Lesbos what I found amazing about the partners was they were all talking about the humanity of, you know, the lovely man that ran the laundry was saying, I like to give, you know, when I do a service wash for someone who's in a refugee camp, can't get their clothes clean, can't get their children's clothes clean. I like to tie it up in a ribbon and put their name on a tag, yeah. like as if they were in a in London at a busy job and they dropped off their laundry and I want to make it feel like a treat when I get it back. I don't, I want the socks to be paired up. And I was like, yeah. that's the kind of humanity that I heard from absolutely everyone out there. Like, how do we make people feel special and important and not yeah. just throw something at them that sort of covers the basics? But how do I turn the basic into something that reminds them you're important? Just because you're living in these conditions doesn't mean you're not important and doesn't mean you don't have hope. Can I ask, um, because we're doing this project with you, the whole yeah. theme of this, we're doing a project with you, which... You and I came up with together after tap dancing. After tap um, dancing, we did. Your brains were all jiggly. And they, <laughs> they were. Dis- dislodged the idea. <laughs> We'd done a step ball chain shuffle and it just, oh, out comes the gold. Um, uh, where we asked if you have had a silver lining, because a lot of people have. Some people haven't. Some people have just had an awful time and they've lost their job. And they've been living in a situation that has made them unhappy. But lots of people in this country and around the world have said, well, the thing to come out of this is I've spent more time with my family and I haven't been charging around and I've actually got to know my children and I've, I've taught my children. And I, when I look back, I'm going to always go, my God, I spent a year homeschooling my children. And that's a precious time, you know, as well as a stressful one. So whatever it is that you've got from this year is your silver lining. So we're asking you, could you make a video and post it online because we want to fill our timeline with gratitude because when people are feeling a bit, oh, everything's tight and, oh, I've got furloughed and, oh, I don't actually have much this year and you feel sorry for yourself, you pull up the shutters. When you focus on the gratitude and you have your Breno Brown gratitude practice, it is impossible to be happy without gratitude, without a gratitude practice, that's true. <laughs> when you go, what did I get this year? Yeah. I want to fill our timelines with gratitude because gratitude leads to compassion. Yeah. I want to say, what did I take from this year. Not what did I lose? I lost the whole Girls Feminist tour. But do you know what I gained? I got up every morning and I learned to dance because it was the only way I knew I was going to get out of bed and not lie on my phone crying and scrolling. Um, scrolling's not an innuendo. Uh, it's, it's not <laughs> a new <euphemism>. um, <laughs> That would have been a great year, Deb. <laughs> in bed crying and scrolling. Maybe that was your silver lining. If so, yeah. do not make a video. Do not make a video of that. Um, I found it very hard at the beginning. I got depressed and I was like, right, start, you mean to go on? And so I organised to have a Zoom dance class every single morning because I thought that'll get me up. And once you've danced to show tunes, it's very difficult to be sad. At least at that point, your endorphins are up. And then I had to get the shower so sweaty that I had to get clothes on because you can't put your pyjamas back on. Otherwise, honestly, I wouldn't have gone out of my pyjamas. Like I knew that first lockdown when we really couldn't leave the house yeah. except for once a day. I just knew I would not, I wouldn't do it. I'd just stay inside and get depressed. And now I saw pictures of me on stage the other night. My posture is totally different. My breathing's different. You know, learning to dance. I'm more connected to my body. I was in a cult when I was younger and that meant I really lost a lot of connection to my body. And so this has been a gift. There's been a lot of shit things about this year. There's no silver linings to a pandemic at fucking all. People have died. People have got terrible things from this. But from a lockdown, there are some. 
uh, including the environment, changes in politics we've discussed or we are discussing with Julia Gillard. There's all sorts of things. So whatever your silver lining is, whether it's making banana bread or spending more time with your cat or getting a rescue dog, make a video. And what you're going to say in this video is, this is my silver lining. Josie's going to make one of herself tap dancing. Isn't that right, Josie? <laughs> Uh, it is now, yeah. <laughs> I'll do it with you. Okay, we'll do fine. it on Zoom. We'll do a double one. Where we're double, montage. One, double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be in your video. You, it's your video, but I'll be in it just to sort of dilute it a bit so you don't feel like, oh, I'm tap dancing on my own. Okay. Then you're going to say in that video, this is my silver lining. Some people didn't get one, and some of those people live in refugee camps. So I've decided to share my silver lining by choosing love and going to the Choose Love store, choose.love, and buying. And then you say what you're buying. And then you're going to encourage other people to make their video and to also choose love and to, to share that. So we keep that going. And the, our timeline is going to be filled with joy, with things people have loved this year, with gratitude and with that empathy and compassion to say, hey, share your silver lining. If you, you know, if you enjoyed cooking, buy some hot meals for someone who hasn't got a kitchen right now. If you felt like it was really lovely just to sort of not wear a bra and work from home and zoom in but you were in your warm, cosy flat, buy a coat for a child who hasn't got a warm, cosy flat. Like try and link it in some way. Otherwise, just buy some firewood or some LGBTQ services, something like that. Just go on and buy something and share that. I know that it's been a really difficult year for everybody and not everybody will be able to do this. But if you do think you are, like the needs are so great. The crisis was already such an emergency and it's just been compounded with covid and we have you know there's price ranges for everyone on there what's the cheapest thing you can buy in the choose love store five pounds okay what's that what do i get for five food food Food. okay is there a hot shower on there there's showers and toilets yes and you know that sometimes is literally paying for a shower to be installed sometimes it's paying for us to reconnect the water sometimes it's us paying to make that water warm like having warm water in a refugee camp can be life-saving it's freezing it's so it's so cold we've had like videos already coming in of, from the Balkans of like such snowy conditions and it's starting to be stormy in Greece and so it really 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 helps and you could be sharing your silver lining buying something for a refugee on the store and then also get an e-card and give that as a gift to somebody else not to complicate things too much but it's a really nice present for people too. Yeah because some of us are just grateful to be allowed to be with family this year Or we can't get there and you're going to the post office to send something they don't really want, some crappy kind of, you know, bubble bath they're not going to use and a jumper they're going to give to Oxfam. Why not just say to your family this year, let's do a secret Santa and then everyone else just give some things to choose love. And on Christmas Day, we'll sort of be imagining the children opening the coats and we'll be thinking, you know, we've shared our silver lining. We've shared our silver lining is we're, you know, we're together however we find a way to be together and we've given something. And I think... You're going to feel great if you do that. Yeah. I'm asking all my extended family to give Cheese Love this year because I'm like, I don't want them schlepping to a post office to send me a book I don't have time to read. <laughs> I, I just don't want that. I just, it's just too much. And there's packaging and there's <laughs> bullshit, like, you know, padded bags and Christmas wrap and environment ruining crap. Like, just fucking give a hot meal to somebody and it's a fiver. And, and if you have no money and some people are in debt yeah. and have been furloughed, you making your video and sharing it and saying, I'd like to share my silver lining by telling you all about Choose Love. Lots of people on your timeline can give because they've actually spent less this year, even though they've earned the same or earned a tiny bit less. 
So yeah. sharing it is is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing because like people care more about your opinion than mine or Deborah's or anyone else. Like you are an influencer to the people that you love. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people who love you, you're right. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's a really lovely thing to do. So please don't feel I, there's so much anxiety at the moment. And this is such a lovely and beautiful thing. And we can all help in any way that we can. Just do what you know you can do. And if you can't make a video, a little tweet, just saying what your silver lining is and linking to the Choose Love store. And can you please, this is important, tell everybody that the checkout code is silver linings, one word, just so we can see and connect with the project and you know make it have more of a community feel and build it. So when you share it, hashtag silver linings, one word, at Choose Love. And uh, if you could hashtag Guilty Feminist or The Guilty Feminist, we'll find that as well. But the main thing is at Choose Love. And then the link is choose.love. So you can link to the Choose Love store or put that in your Instagram bio. If you're not on social media, that's fine. Tell people. Send texts to people you know and love and say, this is my silver lining and I'm going to share this little video of me with my cat. Would you give something to the Choose Love store? And just keep it rolling because we normally make so much money in the shop and the shop this year, people aren't wandering down Carnaby Street in the same way, popping and buying their mum some Joe Malone and then thinking, oh, right. I'll go in there. They're not doing that in the same way. And the, sh- and the story is brief and basic this year. How much yeah. money have we got to make by Christmas Eve, Josie? We need to make at least £2 million. And we are, like, people are so incredible and being so generous. We're already at over half a million, which is just so incredible and amazing. But there's still some way to go. And we work in 15 countries and there are over 100,000 people right now who are you know impacted by our funds and we need to get those funds in and you know last year it was so magical we had like the cast of Fleabag behind the tills we had Noel Fielding in the street getting people in and we're not able to have that same physical space that we had last year so the online is just is so important and it's just like the horrible thing about this year is that spontaneity is gone. Like that is yeah. the biggest thing that I've missed. So you got to do stuff with purpose and we got to like just re, we got to rethink our lives and go, look, I'm going to purposefully get these presents from Choose Love. Yeah. This is not an afterthought. This is a forefront thought. And and uh, yeah, and make good of this year. And uh, I'm really pumped now. I know like you'll be asking me, oh, we're going to give something on behalf of the Guilty Feminist for you. And I'm like, yeah, 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 fine. But I want to spend my dash, like, because I'm very Uh... lucky this year. I've lost a lot of work, but I've been able to pivot. It's quite a good experience to go look through the catalogue and buy it. It's lovely, actually. I'm like, I want the foil blankets. And it's not because of the safety element. They're just very glamorous. I've always been jealous. (laughs) They're very shiny. They're very shiny. They're very shiny and nice. And the photography of them is very stunning on the site. Now, <laughs> oh, Alison, yeah. we're yeah. going to get you to make a video. We've got lots of uh, fancy celebrities making videos, sharing their silver linings, which will be really funny and entertaining and joyful. We'd yeah. love all the Guilty Feminists to share those. You'll find them from the 15th of December on Choose Love and the Guilty Feminist Social. So you'll be able to share them yourselves. Um, check those out. We'll put them all over our Twitter. Different ones will drop each day with different, you know, people off the telly, people, Guilty Feminist regulars, all sorts of people. Alison, yes. when we get you to make your video, which we will edit and make look shiny and delightful, I'm so excited. what, what yeah. can I ask you, is going to be your silver lining? What will you show us that you've got out of this year? Uh, I was thinking of showing you this pressure cooker that I got over the... <laughs> <laughs> I really want to get one. It's it's actually all right. It's, it's 
first of all, I bought it and I was like, I feel like this about a pressure cooker, like really expensive sex toys, right? There's just too many options on it. I don't know what to do. I just wanted to do one job. You know what I mean? And relieve a bit of pressure. Yeah. So I got this. I got this pressure cooker, and it's like eight in one. It has like a, a yogurt making thing, which I've never used. I don't wow. know if I will, but I use it to make soups and I find soup to be really a relaxing process to make because you can't really mess up soup that much, you know? Okay, great. I love so, a good soup as well. So we, yeah. we'll see, we're going to see a video of Alison making her patented soup. Absolutely. Um, ideally with a little bit of the recipe there. And that will be available on the Guilty Feminist socials at Guilty Feminist Pod on Twitter, at the Guilty Feminist. Also follow Alison Spittle. And I will be posting loads um, if you want to see me dancing. And I do mean uh, dancing and singing, that. actually. I'm going to show you. What? I'm going to, I might, I might You're reveal. You're going all out, Deb. Yeah, I might reveal, I might reveal a little bit of my Mama Morton song and dance routine. I've seen it and it's so good. There's no need Just to hide to tell it. everyone. Let's, let's lower Sorry. expectations. <laughs> then people will be impressed. <laughs> It's lower, so lower expectation. It's all it's right. Rubbish. It's absolutely terrible. It's, it's all, okay. It's, it's, it's all, let's not go to the other extreme and disappoint the people. It's all right. <laughs> it's of an okay. So it's a mediocre standard. And then if you see it and you go, oh, she's a bit better than a mediocre, um, I'll be thrilled. Beautiful. And if you could, uh, if you could message me to say that was better than I was expecting, uh, I'd be thrilled. So I'm at DF Dubs on Instagram and I'm at Deborah FW on Twitter. Give us a follow. You will be seeing so much joy from the 15th of December. So much silliness. I know that our director Tilda was down filming Nish Kumar uh, and his silver lining at the Choose Love store this morning, and I heard between us that he yeah. just bought the store twice. This- Store. Twice. store twice. Double, double store. He did a double oh, he's, store. He's winning I mean, he's had a pretty Monopoly. good year, though. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's had his own TV show on Quibi. And, uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Quibi. But listen, <laughs> he got some of that Quibi dosh. So know, he's, I'm, I'm bless him. He's spent <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of it down at the old Choose Love store and, and, and bless him. And he's apparently so made fine. a very, very funny uh, silver lining uh, video as well so we look forward to that being released online I'm so excited to watch and I, that's the only one that's actually in the can the rest of them are going in the can between now and the 15th so I'm not going to reveal any other names uh, but there are some freaking fancy names on that bill I'm very excited including Alison Spittle you see this is what I love being involved in the Guilty Feminists is like it's always like crazy famous people like Emma Thompson and, 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 and Alison Spittle and I'm like see mum Emma Thompson. Uh, <laughs> you know, Emma Thompson's the most gracious woman in the world, and she would she would say that. She's so lovely. She is. She really <laughs> is a very, very she's yeah, she's she's like Juliet Stevenson. They are really good people. They're really like, She came backstage at like the Palladium I was like, excuse me, do you know what the toilet is? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, no problem. And I was like, that woman looks awfully like Emma Thompson. But I was like, I can't. That's see the first Emma time Tom- she was on the show. She just came backstage and someone was well, on the text said, Emma Thompson's wandering around backstage and I was like yeah I, I, did, I wasn't even sure she was in and next thing you know, she said I just thought I'll come out and you know she was like and she does this great speech about that she was there with her daughter who was a teenager then and she said I we I didn't have anything like this when I was a teenager and it was just like one of those nights she's with all these 
women all on the same team. She said, I didn't have this. And she explained what it was like. And it's a brilliant episode, actually. Listen to it. It's the 2018 It's such a one. great episode. Uh, weirdly, and I was also on that episode. And you were? Two, yeah. At the Palladium. <laughs> it was our Palladium. suffragette one. Yeah, suffragette and anniversary. It, she wore a Choose Love t-shirt as well afterwards, which was so nice. That's She's right. so great. I thought for a second though it couldn't be her because I was like Emma Thompson wouldn't use the toilet like as if like that's a thing that's like <laughs> that's I mean, impossible for Emma Thompson to one do. Of the, one of the things we learn is, is celebrities go to the loo like everyone else. I know. <laughs> I'm not confirming that Emma Thompson's doing one of these films but right? watch out in case that she is wink wink. I've not released <laughs> any names yet so this is a to shh. Stop okay. making me give away secrets Alison. Um, <laughs> That is unconfirmed. So listen, just share yourself a lining because you've probably got one if you're listening to this podcast. And we're looking forward now to a Biden-esque vaccinated, hot and cold running vaccine, hot and cold running Biden-Harris. Let's take this bit of hope and goodness and make something with it and share it. Josie, is there anything else you want to tell us about Choose Love and Silver Linings? Just that we're so grateful always to the guilty feminist community who always step up and support us and I honestly there are times when services literally would have had to stop were it not for the guilty feminist community donating and coming to volunteer and like that is literally true and yeah this year has been full of so much hardship but also just that reminder that humanity is amazing and people are incredible and people care and love will win and just thank you and be so grateful for anyone to share their silver linings and I promise that that support is going to make a real difference to people's lives. Well we are on to it if I am willing to share my mama Morton which I'm not really I'm feeling I'm a that I'm slightly so like much like a euphemism if I'm look, I it's crying and scrolling. It's Mama Morton, not sharing my Mama Morton. They're the only options scrolling. I've got. Babe. Crying and scrolling. Shall I cry and scroll today, or shall I share my Mama Morton? <laughs> um, uh, it's not clear. I feel a bit embarrassed about it, but I'm fucking doing it because I'm just doing. It. I'm just going to do it because you know what? It has been a silver lining, and I just and I want other people to also realise they can learn things as a grown up, and there's a joy in moving, and there's a joy in learning, and there's a joy in sharing that and not being ashamed of that and sharing it with someone who would love to do that but just doesn't you know at this point even have the basics so thank you Josie for everything you do it's our privilege to support you uh, because you are doing the real heavy lifting and we get to do the joyful support stuff and I'm forever grateful for it big team effort it's a big team effort but you're leading it up and thank you and I'm very excited to see what happens with the Silver Linings videos. Please, everybody, share them. Please make your own. Please share the ones we've got. Um, Please pass it on and just keep this rolling because by Christmas Eve, we need room at that inn. We need at least a manger. Um, We do. And the next part of the Christmas story is, of course, Herod, a ruthless dictator, saying he's going to kill all the firstborns. And so Mary and Joseph having to flee and having to go as refugees to Egypt. And without that, baby Jesus would have died. So they don't come back till that threat is over and they can't return to their homeland until that threat is over. Please remember that when you celebrate Christmas this year. And please tell that to any and all family who do not feel wholly positive about refugees, but are enjoying plum pudding. Remind them what Christmas is all about. You tell them that the 
Only Fools and Horses Christmas special wouldn't happen without a refugee. That wouldn't have happened, you know. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's a really Brown strong boy. connection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you want the Vicar of Dimly Christmas do, or not? Do you know what this is reminding me of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that Jesus was a refugee. <laughs> he was displaced at birth in his own country. And then he was an actual refugee to another country and rocked up. What would you have said if Jesus had come to the border? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> what would you have said? Would you have shared your stuffing? Um, yeah. So, Josie, thank you so much. We need to get you, let you. you get back to saving the world now. Yes. But we are motivated to share our silver linings with people who desperately, desperately need them and I'm deserve so them. And... Uh, yeah. We're not helping. We are redistributing, fairly redistributing. redistributing. What are the opening hours of the shop? Because I'm going to Ireland tomorrow. I'm going to see if I can like get my stuff done and pop down and buy some stuff. I believe it is 10 till 7. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. cool. Thank you guys so much. Honestly, no problem. It makes Thank me you. feel totes and most. Love you, love you, love you. So oh, nice to see you, Alison. Bye. Thank you, Tom. Bye. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're slowly getting back to performing live shows, only very safely. And our next one will be at the Kentish Town Forum as part of Podcast Stop, a brand new podcast festival for London. We'll be there with some Guilty Feminist favourites recording our episode on Thursday, the 18th of February at 7.30pm. To get tickets, see the link in our show notes or on guiltyfeminist.com. And if you're still doing your Christmas shopping, please consider having a look in our merch store where you will find Guilty Feminist mugs, t-shirts, tote bags, notebooks, and much more. Or why not pick up a copy of my book, The Guilty Feminist, available wherever books are sold. This episode is all about our Silver Linings project, and I just wanted to go over what we want you to do one more time. If you've been able to find a silver lining during 2020, we want you to share it, and we want you to help people for whom a global pandemic managed to make a terrible situation even worse. All over the world, millions of displaced people are living in refugee camps, and for them, there is no silver lining. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to the Choose Love store, and if you can afford it, you're going to buy something. There's hot meals there from five quid. Buy something that you can afford that you relate to. Once you've done that, if you can afford to, you're going to grab your camera or your phone, and film yourself playing with your new puppy, playing the flute, baking banana bread, whatever represents your silver lining. Even if it's just having a nap, putting your eye mask on, curling up under your duvet, you can film that, make that funny. Tell us why you did it, what you got out of it, what surprised you about it, whether you'll continue your new habit or whatever you're inspired to show us or tell us. Then you're going to share on social media with the hashtag silver linings and tag the guilty feminist and choose love. We want to fill up our timelines with gratitude. But you're going to tell everyone else in your video, go to the Choose Love store, share your silver lining with some people who are displaced in refugee camps and don't have a silver lining. And when you go to the checkout, could you use the checkout code silver linings, one word. We'll put up a sample video or two on the Guilty Feminist website so you can get an idea. And we're going to start posting them from the 15th. So if as many of you could drop on the 15th as possible, that's going to kick it off and get it going and more through the week. So anytime from the 15th to the 24th, post your video. 
Even if you don't have any spare cash, sharing your video will encourage others to buy something if you explain why it's important. Please remember, as Alison said, you have more influence over your friends and family than I do. So you sharing this is going to make a big, big difference. As Renny Lodge says, when asked how you can be an ally, the answer is, I don't know where you hold power. So you hold influence over your friends and family. So the more you can share it, send your little video on a WhatsApp directly to them if they don't follow you on social media and get them to make theirs as well. It's going to make you feel great about the year and it's going to make you feel hopeful about the year ahead. Please, please, please uh, play along. We'll share as many of them as we can. And remember to tag us in Instagram. We're at the Guilty Feminist at DF Dubs on Twitter. We are at Guilt Fem Pod and at Deborah FW. Choose Love is at Choose Love Everywhere and just hashtag Silver Linings and hashtag any of these other things as well. You are an incredible, inspiring group of people. You never, ever fail to overwhelm me with how much you care and how much you engage. And I really hope you have some fun making your video. And now back to the podcast. Guilty feminists, I am so unbelievably excited to welcome back, honestly, one of the most well-received, no, the most well-received guest I've ever announced on The Guilty Feminist. Uh, We kept her a secret when we were in Sydney because we'd sold out the show brilliantly. Thank you very much, Sydney Guilty Feminists and those who travelled. And I'll never forget bringing her on because I read the most obscure thing on her bioc first and then something that was a little bit less obscure and I filled in a little and you could see people rumbling going, it's not, is it? It's not, is it? Around the audience. <laughs> and then when I said, just today, the moment in Australian television history voted number one by Australia was the moment when she gave her speech on misogyny in a parliament and the whole place erupted to the extent that by the time I said the former Prime Minister of Australia, Julia Gillard, honestly, I couldn't hear. No one could hear what I was saying. And out she walked and the audience were on their feet. It was a standing ovation before we'd even begun, which we've never had before and frankly, all since. And we've had some incredibly impressive people on our show. So Julia, to have you here 11 months later, we had you in February in Sydney. What a wonderful month February was. We were having a glorious tour. There you were, we're all dressed up probably had a blow dry, no big deal, out of the house, mixing, hugging, connecting, audience screaming. Little did we know that weeks later, our whole lives would be turned upside down. And here we are in December together, connected the way that we do connect now by Zoom. That's the way human beings communicate. Zoom and beings as we now are. Julia Gillard, thank you so much for returning to The Guilty Feminist. I love you and I love that you're here. So I'm going to applaud you the way I I know the audience would. (laughs) Do you mind starting a vacation? I am. (laughs) That's hard to achieve on Zoom, a standing ovation and keep yourself in shot. (laughs) I I am delighted to be here and I will always remember being on stage with you. I think it is the only time in my life, not I think, I'm sure it's the only time in my life I have ended up talking about whether President Obama can make a ragu. 
<laughs> I mean, there were lots of things said that night. You were really <laughs> funny. Your gag rate was as high as Cal's and mine. We were just like, wow, she is zinging it. And uh, and a few people said, I've never seen her be funny like that. She was as funny as the comedians. And I was like, I don't think she gets invited into that many funny spaces. I think mostly you get invited into serious spaces and you feel like the temperature's not right for that. But you are very funny. I was impressed. <laughs> Have you ever thought about doing comedy? Maybe I should. No, I haven't ever really. I have had some little experiences in this sense that when you're Prime Minister, you speak at the press gallery ball each year and you are supposed to give a funny speech and they are a pretty hard audience because they're journalists, you know, from the press gallery. They've had a few drinks. So they're not necessarily minded to give you an easy time. But I did get to practice some gags and one-liners then and I didn't mind doing it. I thought it was, you know, I pretty much enjoyed it. So maybe a career in stand-up beckons if we can ever go back to live shows. Don't say if. Don't say if. When? When? It's all happening <laughs> now. We've got a vaccine. We've got a vaccine. I think you should try hand-on panel shows. I really, really do. Because I think you've got ad-lib wit and not many people have it. Now, Juliet Gillard, we are looking here for silver linings. This is our silver linings episode. There are no silver linings to a pandemic. People have lost people. People have got continuing debilitating symptoms. But human beings being what we are, we are programmed to look for silver linings. And the lockdown has, uh, for some, been devastating and plunged people into poverty. And for some, it has had silver linings. And for us as a society, we must look now as we look to 2021 and to a vaccine and to a Biden-esque future, because we know America is somewhat of an emotional thermometer for the world. What, what was your reaction, by the way? when Biden-Harris got in? I actually sat on my couch for three days, which is very unlike me. Uh, watching the results come in, I just couldn't look away. And I was obsessively flicking between CNN and Fox News, and that probably wasn't doing me a whole lot of good. And intellectually, I knew that the early returns would favour Trump and then they'd get to the postal ballots and they'd be better for Biden. But even though I knew that, I just felt like I was on this emotional roller roller coaster. So I finally got myself away from the TV when it was clearer and clearer that Biden was going to win. And then I tuned back in to watch the sort of victory speeches by him and Vice President Harris. Hey. And I got, yeah, I got quite teary watching her, particularly as the cameras kept going to uh, young girls in the audience, young girls of colour in the audience. And I could really feel the moment. I mean, so glad to see, you know, reason and hope uh, come to the fore in the US, but particularly glad to see her election and what it means for girls in the US and around the world. Yeah, the representation is extremely important. We underestimate all the time what representation is. And look, I, I hope Biden-Harris is the the hope that we've been waiting for. I hope that they exceed our expectations and that some of the fears people have about previous policies aren't uh, fulfilled and that our best hopes are answered. But at the moment, I am really just relieved to have a president who isn't going to meet a child with one leg and go, do you know, I've got two legs, greatest legs in the world. Doctors have looked at my legs and said, I've got two of them. They're great. Must be awful to have <laughs> one leg. I mean, I'm just really grateful because I'm. I, what I know for sure is that neither Biden nor Harris is going to do that. And just the relaxing nature of that 
can you say, given it's our silver lining episode and we're looking for positives for next year, can you say when you were a prime minister, how did the views of the electorate influence you? It's a complicated question. There's a few levels. I mean, if you are determined to do something, I was determined, for example, to put a price on carbon, to try and reduce Australia's contribution to climate change. If you're determined to do that, you can't just, you know, suddenly say, oh, that's not very popular. I mean, we followed the legislative program, we got it through, we implemented it. And so you just want to keep going. You want to persuade people that what you're doing is right. So it's important to understand the currents of public opinion, but they don't change your mind. Where public opinion does really make a difference is when it's making space for new initiatives. So I introduced in Australia a big scheme, the National Disability Insurance Scheme to better support Australians with disabilities. And that happened because Australians with disabilities and their families campaigned for it and they won hearts and minds and the public wanted it. And so the public put pressure on pollies of all political stripes, state, federal, to get it done. So public opinion can make space like that. And then there's always the individuals who come up and they might have a story where a thing you think is working well, they can tell you that something's wrong with it and then you can go in and make sure that that thing gets fixed. So say Americans wanted the police to be defunded, in other words, the police not to get all of the money for absolutely everything and to turn up to situations that they are highly unqualified for, or actually a situation where the last thing you want is a uniformed armed representative of the state. You want someone to de-escalate. How do we as citizens go about saying to Kamala Harris, who's not had the best track record there, and Joe Biden, where he might think, oh, that's going to be unpopular with some of America. How do Americans listening to this campaign for things that affect both America and therefore Uh, in some cases, actually the world, and in some cases, the emotional temperature of the world. I'm a real optimist about all of this. I know you're looking for silver linings. So I think that there is one here. My sense from the election campaign in the US is that President Biden and Vice President Harris uh, well and truly understand uh, why people were so angry, why they were on the streets, why they were protesting about police shootings, why Black Lives Matter. And I think they will be motivated to try and change things. Now, America is a complicated system. You know, it's not one level of government. There's the federal level and the state levels. But I think that they will be motivated to change things and they will be looking for ways of making a difference. I actually think the discussion will be in the what mechanism is going to work best for change. And that's a good debate to be in because it means everybody's coming to the table saying, yes, there needs to be change rather than status quo versus should there be change. I actually think Biden and Harris are past that. They know the status quo isn't good enough. And so it's a discussion about the best way of bringing change. So how as citizens, do you write letters? Do you create social programs that try and get the attention of the White House? Do you sign petitions? What's the best way? Because people want to be involved now and they want to be heard and they don't just want to go, oh, well, I'm sure they've got it. How do you make your voice heard inside one of those huge buildings? You know, the people of those buildings work for us. And I'm sure when you were prime minister, you were 
acutely aware I work for the Australian people. I'm paid by the Australian people. How do you make your voice heard into that building? Look, I think there are lots of ways of making your voice heard and petitions and online all has its role. But the most effective form of advocacy always is advocacy that is bringing both a strong voice and a strong body of evidence to the table. Uh, So, for example, the Australians who campaigned for the National Disability Insurance Scheme were able to show from research and other work that they had done that this scheme would not only be better for people with disabilities, it would be better for the Australian economy, it would enable people to participate in the workforce. They wanted to do that, but capped and queued mechanisms of support for people with disabilities weren't letting them live the life that they wanted to live, including going to work. And I am sure that there are many activist groups in the US right now who are proving on the ground in their communities that there's a better way of doing policing, uh, you know, making sure that there's law and order, but also making sure that communities feel included, supported, not discriminated against. I'm sure that town by town, community by community, there are people making change. And then it's about bringing that, what's been learned, uh, to the centre of decision-making and saying, we know this works, we've done it, now it should be done across the nation. Great. So evidence, that's very interesting. So research, evidence, who's got it, and then how do we present it? So you may be the person that gets the evidence and takes it forward. So you you need to do your research and make sure your facts are right. That's very, very interesting. Um, Did you see the vaccines? This is yesterday where we are, because we are on the 9th of December. Did you see the vaccines in the UK? I did see the vaccines in the UK and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I love seeing these sort of, you know, nuggety 90 odd year olds who have uh, lived a life and been through a few uh, experiences, I'm sure, uh, fronting up and saying, give it to me, give it to me. (laughs) And knowing that it would enable them to reclaim the bits of their lives that they so want, you know, I saw a man talking about uh, his, I can't recall now whether he said granddaughters or great-granddaughters, but uh, the youngest generation of his family, he obviously wanted to be with them again to be able to give them hugs, to not have to be isolated. And, you know, the sense of delight that he had in getting the vaccine, you could feel it. It was emotional and heartwarming and, wow, I just want to see it get out there to everyone so that that sense of connection that matters so much to us as human beings, we can all reclaim. Oh, just, yeah, being able to hug, being able to be indoors together, being able to have shows. We did the fifth anniversary Guilty Feminist show the other night and it was brilliant. But I joked with the audience that it was like doing a show for little collections of handmaids because there were sort of you know people in their groups all masked up, like that awful bit in The Handmaid's Tale where they mask women. It's just like, you know, sort of three women together and then six women together and then two women together and one woman on it. And you're like, they're all masked and you're like, oh my God. And it was a joyful celebration, but it's not... That we miss, we miss being close, packed in as an audience, shoulder to shoulder. Do you find when you're looking out on an audience like that, and everybody's got their masks on, that lots of women have gone really heavy with the eye makeup? I'm seeing this oh, as a yeah. trend. Yeah, I, <laughs> I walked into the green room with my mask on, 
And uh, Jessica Foster Q said, oh, nice eyes. Love what you've done with your eyes. And I was like, that's such a 2020 compliment. I love what you've done with your eyes because that's the only <laughs> part you're allowed to see. So are you feeling hopeful now you've seen that vaccine that by maybe the end of next year, we might be back to doing the things that we love, like theatre and coming and going, hugging? I am optimistic. I'm optimistic that the vaccine will uh, change those things. I'm going to break your heart now and say where I am in Adelaide, Australia, we actually have been able to go out to the theatre, but it's all been, you know, that checkerboard seating and, you know, crowds that are half the size and no bar, uh, so you can't have a champagne, um, you know, so... It's not the joyous experience that it should be. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the old school experience or even just going to the cinema or just going out. So I'm excited about that. What lessons can we take from this year? Because there are silver linings. For example, and one big reason I want to talk to you is that countries with female leadership have done better in COVID. And I keep reading this. Now, I know that you are now an expert in female leadership. Can you tell us a bit about what we've learned that might help us get more female leadership in future years from this year? That's absolutely right. I think silver linings, what are they? Uh, We're talking about female leadership. We're talking about how well women leaders have done. And we've certainly seen that the ultra masculine macho uh, leadership doesn't work. You know, the President Trump, the President Bolsonaro in Brazil, the men who say, oh, this little virus, it's not going to get me. Well, guess what? You know, the Mm -hmm. virus isn't interested in your bluster and your rejection of science. The virus just does what the virus is going to do. Uh, So I think that's the silver lining, the way we're talking about women's leadership. I think another silver lining is doing what we're doing now. I do think that if we're thoughtful about it, we can reshape the future of work, not for every occupation, because many occupations have to be done in person, but we can reshape the future of a lot of occupations in a way that is more flexible, more agile, and ultimately better for women. So I think that that's a big silver lining as well. Yes. I mean, I don't think anyone's going back to five days a week in an office commuting at the worst possible times. I think anyone is, because we've just proven, you know, and it's what many people in the disabled community have been advocating for for years, is make things more accessible, uh, which we never could until suddenly, oh, it affects people who are not disabled, and suddenly we can. It's amazing what's possible when the dominant group need it. Why do you think it is that countries led by women seem to have done better during COVID? There is a good academic study in the UK that does prove that proposition. So we were all talking about it. And then fortunately, some academics had a good look at it and they compared like countries with like countries and did come to the very hard-headed conclusion that countries led by women had done better. They weren't quite able to then go the next stage and prove why, but they speculated. Great. uh, Let's hear those speculations. The speculation. (laughs) Oh, juicy speculation. Yes, please, Yeah, you've got to love a good speculation because then that takes you to the next bit of research to see if you can stand the speculation up. Yum, Uh, yum. But they they speculated that women were more risk adverse, so they listened to the science uh, more and acted earlier for uh, lockdowns and restrictions. I think that's one possible explanation. 
I think another explanation in terms of how the public responded is I don't think men and women's, you know, men and women's brains aren't different and men and women don't necessarily need to lead differently, but women have been socialised differently to men and women leaders tend to come through when they can show that they are weaving together strength and empathy. That's what we tend to look towards women leaders for. And I think the pandemic has created the circumstances in which that exact combination has been most valued. So people have wanted to know mm. that a leader's got the strength to get them through, but the empathy to understand that people are frightened, they're confused, they, you know, want to feel that their leader gets it, that that's how anxious they are. And I think, you know, whether it's Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand doing her social media snippets from home, whether it's been Erna Solberg in Norway having Zoom Q&As with school children, I think they've found ways of really showing that empathy and people have appreciated it. Interesting. So are we coming into a new era where strength and empathy will be seen as more powerful than strength alone or what we might call toxically masculine flexes of strength. Are we coming into a period where we will look to strength and empathy and male leaders are going to have to catch up with female leaders on that front? Well, I think that's absolutely the trick. If we say that we value strength and empathy, then we've got to say we want it from every leader, male and female. What would be bad is if we came out of this saying uh, we're happy with female leaders when they're amazing and we're happy with male leaders if they're kind of okay mm. uh, because that would be baking the sexism in because then lots of kind of okay men will get to be leaders. Mm -hmm. Very few women will come through because very few will clear the high jump bar of being amazing. Mm. So if we're going to say strength and empathy are the things we want, then we've got to say we expect everybody who presents for election to have those characteristics and we're going to pay out as voters against people who don't. And the problem is when male leaders show a flicker of empathy, we sometimes go, oh, my God, he's incredible. The same way that when men hold their own babies, people go, what a wonderful father. And uh, <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. Mm. Whereas those things are expected from women. But I have noticed that men are trying to show empathy, like Matt Hancock, who's our health secretary, tried, I mean, look, it's, it's not for me to say he didn't really cry on television, but it looked a lot like he was trying to cry on television when he saw somebody vaccinated on a VT. He was on a morning breakfast show here and he just sort of started to sort of wipe his eyes that didn't seem to have any tears coming out. And the presenters were like, oh, you're getting emotional there, Matt. But it was just been such a hard year for everyone. And I was like, oh, well, look, honestly, Matt, don't, I, I would say don't give up your day job, but please, for God's sake, give up your day job. You are terrible at it. I happily go into soap. It doesn't matter if you can't really cry. They can blow a little thing into your eyes and make you cry. Um, but it looked like he was trying to show emotion. And I don't know that for sure. Maybe that's the way Matt Hancock really cries. But it looked to me like he was trying to show strength and empathy, but actually was just coming across as somebody who was sort of, you know, slightly soapily crying. After all my years in politics, you're a tougher judge than me because I thought he looked emotionally Did moved. you? Did you think he looked I moved? Did. Maybe that's I just. Did. I maybe did. that's just. You just know more male politicians than I do. Maybe that's how they look moved. I, I, <laughs> so this, 
He, do you think he was just pulling out leg hair? Just like, ah, trying to make himself cry. Look, I'm not saying he, he probably does feel emotion, you know, like it, it's a it's a big old job for anybody and especially for someone that incompetent. Uh, it must be awful for him. And I, I feel for him because I, I couldn't do that job and so therefore wouldn't do that job. He can't do that job and has yet chosen to do it. And that's, you know, hats off in a way. Um so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to do a disclaimer here, which is from the remove of Australia. I don't think it is for me to pass judgment no, on fair. the health minister in the UK. Fair, fair, <laughs> Julia. But because I have family in Australia, the levels of corona in Australia, I know it's a bigger country with a smaller population, but the levels of corona have been nothing like. It's sort of like 150 people have got it in Victoria. We're shutting the whole place down. Meanwhile, here we've had like, you know, 50,000 deaths, you know, like it's a different ball game. So I'm sure you feel frustrated with your leadership at the moment at times, and I'm sure you have to be diplomatic about the leadership around the world because you're still somebody who works those circles. And yet I would suggest that perhaps Australia has done a bit better than us. Having said all of that, there is a vaccine now. We must be pleased. We must take these lessons about female leadership. We must push on. We must take these lessons about flexible working, which often impacts women more than men because the burden of childcare often falls on women for reasons we don't truly understand. Uh, just the history of the world and the patriarchy. So thank you for your insights on those things and also... Your insight around evidence and getting to leadership that's basically on us. It doesn't matter what evidence you show Trump, but leadership that, that looks seems to be basically on our side. We need to be presenting them with evidence all the time. That's really, really useful information. And I really thank you. Is there anything you came to say today that you didn't get to say, Julia? Just this year will end. It is coming to an end. I know we feel like we're trudging our way out of it, but the trudge is almost done. And then we'll get to turn the page and it'll be 2021. And I do think we will feel lighter of spirit. And as the vaccine rolls out, the world will be in a better place. So uh, hopefully happier days ahead. And I think we've learned some things about ourselves and how to better organise societies and things that we should value, like caring work that we need to take with us. And that's the next uh, feminist battle to make sure that the lessons that are learned, which will make a better future for women, aren't just ones that are in in the COVID era, but that come with us. So it's not just about, you know, clapping for the NHS. It's about better valuing all of those caring professions for the long term. It's not just about doing virtual work when you can't go to work. It's about keeping those flexibilities for the long term. So some things to fight for. Indeed, indeed. And can I ask you one thing, Julia, what's your personal silver lining to have come out of lockdown? What did you get to do this year that you wouldn't have got to do if lockdown hadn't happened? I got to spend more time reading. I love reading. I do it as I travel, but I've been able to do it deliciously in my own home. So that's meant more real books Ooh. rather than Kindle reading. Mm. So that's been my silver lining. Wonderful. And can I ask you, would you be up for sharing your silver lining with someone who didn't get one who lives in a refugee camp? And if so, what would you like to buy from the Choose Love store? I'd be delighted to buy some children's clothes. Ah, oh, well, there are children's coats for a tenner each. So uh, we'll put you down for five of those. Perfect. Thank you, Julia. Bye-bye. 
you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis, my guest co-host, Alison Spindle, and our very special guests, Josie Norton, Julia Stevenson, Pinar, and Julia Gillard. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Slinsky for the Spontaneity Show. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina DC, and everyone who made this episode happen and all the others of this year, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. I'm wrecked. Alison, sorry. Alison, just to say, I know we haven't done our banter, so you might not feel like you can co-host yet. Oh, amazing. So please, Alison, otherwise later when we do the edit, you'll not have said anything in this part and it'll look like I've just killed you. So, oh, or it looks like I'm in a huff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So do you want to ask a question to Pina now, just so we've got that for the for the, for the the radio of it? Yeah, absolutely. So, Pina, what's your experience uh, uh, working with this charity? Like, how did how did it all start with this?